At a time when many kōhangaril say they're struggling for funds, the financial statements show the national body is not. I went to visit one kōhangaril and they had a stuffed doll stuck in the pakaru window. And they had had that for a year because they had no money ki te whakapaito rātou whare and we got $13 million in the bank. That's rude. Kia ora and welcome to this episode in Season 2 of Recovering. I'm Frank Ritchie, Church Minister, Chaplain and Radio Broadcaster. Recovering is a media chaplaincy New Zealand podcast highlighting the excellent work of Aotearoa New Zealand journalists. In each episode I sit down with a leading journalist to discuss the story that's had the biggest impact on them both personally and professionally. In this episode, I sat down with Mehingarangi Forbes and Annabelle Lee Mather. Mihi is of Ngāti Paua and Ngāti Maniapoto descent, and Annabelle is of Ngaitahu and Ngāti Kahungunu descent. It's a special episode, having the chance to chat with both of them. And because we couldn't comfortably fit into our little studio, a big thanks to my friend and fellow chaplain Petra Bagus for letting us use her home to record this kōrero. Both Mihi and Annabelle have been a significant part of the media landscape in Aotearoa for many years. Mihi in front of the camera and Annabelle behind it making things happen. Together, these two women are a powerhouse. Initially, I wanted to have this conversation after seeing Mihi win an award at the New Zealand Television Awards in 2020. I was there, and as she received her award, it struck me that something was different. I'll explain that in the conversation. But this kōrero couldn't happen with Mihi alone, because Mihi's work is strengthened by Annabelle. They go together. It makes for a really rich conversation. Together they now bring us the hui on TV3 and a number of other projects significant for understanding Māori identity in Aotearoa, New Zealand. The story we dive into in this episode is one that saw them walk away from their work at Māori TV. Their investigation into alleged poor use of funds by the Te Kohangareo Trust Board. It was a situation that speaks to their journalist integrity, their resolve and resilience, their partnership, but also the ongoing and strengthening place of Māori and Aotearoa media. Kia ora, Mihi and Annabelle. Thank you so much for taking time to be on uh, Recovering. And I would usually welcome people to our humble little tiny studio in Penrose, but you get a much more spacious space. We're in uh, my colleague Petra's house, which is lovely. And I like the reason we're sitting here. It's partly because we didn't want to cram the two of you into one tiny little studio when normally we'd just be interviewing one person. And I actually like the story that gets us to having the two of you sitting down here. It's taken a while. (laughs) It's taken a while. It started with a request last year to have you on, uh, Mihi, and that came from me seeing you win an award at the 2020 Television Awards, where you got Best Presenter for News and Current Affairs. Now, as a Pākehā, if I was to receive an award, I'd be loving the congratulations coming from my table, all about me. Uh, I'd walk up feeling good that everybody was applauding me, and then I would give probably a stumbling speech because I'd be very nervous in that situation but I love the adulation and then I'd love the photos being taken of me and then sitting down and everybody going great job Frank couple of drinks afterwards and then going back home and family it would be all about me but I watched you get that award and it was probably the only acceptance that I saw that carried the weight of something much bigger. You accepting that award on behalf of Wahine Māori, uh, but then you accepting that award on behalf of everybody who's been part of your journey to that 
point. And then when I asked you to be on the podcast last year, there was a polite no. Uh, <laughs> and then this year, the acceptance of being on the podcast, but having Annabelle along as well as a recognition that this is about more than just you and that the story that we're going to talk about was about more than just you. I love that. I love that that's how this is played out. Mm. Yeah. I think it's um, anyone who works, you know, actually through a Māori lens, not just in journalism and being Māori, but anyone who does the kind of work that we do really, you know, you'd, you'd be not in the same universe to not acknowledge that it's a team. And, and all of our history and all of our stories and our pūrako talk about, you know, hardly anything's done by themselves. You, you, it doesn't matter which area of history you take a little bit out of. Um, and so Annabelle, yeah, she, it would be remiss of me to turn up without my, um, my work wife and my tuakana, and we really honestly do things together. And it's not just us two, particularly on the story that we're about to talk to. You know, there's a third wheel in there, and that's Adrian Stevan on, but there was only two seats, so <laughs> Adrian had to stay at work today. <laughs> but, you know, it really is. It's even in Māori journalism, I think, even your camera operator, your, your editor are so involved. I mean, that's not to say that it's not for other people's journalism, but it feels like... It is a real team effort, eh? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So when you get up to accept an award like that, what's going through your head then? Because again, for me, there'd be the nervousness, there'd be the everybody's looking at, at me, there's the what am I going to say? So what happens for you? Um, do not, what I think is do not embarrass my family, my people, my tupuna, my parents um, and all of those mentors that have looked after me in my career. And so it's, you know, the first thing that you do is you go through this list in your head of, oh my gosh, where do I start? How wide do I go? Because they all have so much. Because every day you're pinching stories from your past, you're pinching stories from your family, you're pinching stories from 1994 when you first started at Te Karere. you're pinching, you know, that other person's experience. And so you can't just accept things on behalf of you and you have to acknowledge people. Mm. Now, I'm curious about the relationship between the two of you and how that started. So, Annabelle, do you want to do you want to walk us through how how the working relationship here or the friendship kicked off? Um, I had been, uh, you know, admired Mahi's work from afar for a very long time. She was still at TV Three, and I was at Maori Television. And then there was a situation where a few times her and I were chasing the same story. And I thought I had it tied up and then she'd scoop me. <laughs> and it, it just kept happening and happening on all these really big stories that I was trying to break. My tour kind of would come in and like gazump me. And at the end I was like, oh my God, I have to sort this out with this girl. So I, I, I rang her, I heard she was in Auckland, so I rang her and I said, Mahi, man, you need to sort some stuff out. Yep, and she rolled up to TV3 in this big black truck and she's much more of an environmentalist now. <laughs> And back then, and it was I have like, a lot bum, of bum, bum, to be And she said, "Jump in," and I thought, "Oh, is this safe?" <laughs> <laughs> Big flat truck, yeah, jump in. That sounds heard, like an you know, abduction. Because her reputation <laughs> was huge in Te Ao Māori, so I was like, "Oh my gosh, I don't even know this woman at all." I knew she was Sandra Lee's daughter, and I liked Sandra Lee, and she liked me a little bit, a little bit at, at the time because I was in Parliament being a reporter. Um, so I jumped in the truck, followed my heart. And it's been the best relationship in my career. 
You know, it's been a relationship of equals, of we've learnt and we've grown and we've screwed up together and mm. we've righted our wrongs and we've got back up on the horse. She's, she's quite good on horses, I'm not so great. but um, And we've, you know, become braver together and we've tackled really important stuff. And, yeah, I think when you find somebody like that, you just, why would you not work with them for a long, long, long time? Mm. Yeah, our honunga has been the best thing that's ever happened to me in my career and um, and having another wahine who has your back, who's in your corner, who is juggling the same challenges you have as a mum with lots of children, um, you know, who's committed to te ao Māori, who's committed to a certain style of journalism and totally gets you and supports you 100% is like the best thing that... Um, that you can really have as a as a working Maori journalist, and I think um, if women are able to support each other like that, it can be a difficult thing because I think how um, the the way newsrooms work and just misogyny in general, you know, women aren't encouraged to partner up the way that we have, but it's incredibly empowering when you do. And if you've got someone that's always in your corner, you can go a long way together. Yeah, and it doesn't matter which broadcaster you're working for, you have to have each other's backs because, I mean, it's a pretty, you know, the industry can be pretty rugged at times Mm. when you're young and out there on your own, especially when you're, you know, trying to be brave and take on the establishment or chase someone up. You know, sometimes it's it's often people turn on you. To, you know, it can be really um, lonely. Mm. Can you talk us through then the the parts that you play together in that relationship? Because clearly, if you're both doing the exact same stuff, that that doesn't work. So, what parts do you play? Um, it's really funny because I went through all of my career, and this is what I call kind of the institutional racism of broadcasting. Um, never been a good enough speaker. My, you know, brown people will tell you that the one thing in broadcasting you get told is, oh, your voice, oh, it's real bummer. You're great, great research. Oh, you've got great contacts, but oh, your voice needs working on. And you just end up being in the voiceover booth with John Campbell and all these people trying to make your voice better. And you're like, what am I doing here? Like, what are you trying to make me? Actually, only about three years ago, I went for an interview at RNZ for some kind of position. It might have been five years ago. And on the panel, they asked us, are you willing to, you know, really work on your voice? And I thought, what the actual? Get out of here. I don't want this job, you know, but that's what happens. And I don't know what it is. So, you know, you be a real speaker Lots of young people that we know now can't spell, you know, because they've learnt real first, so the, the English is all over the show or they use the wrong English words, you know, in the wrong places in the sentence and the rest of it. But, boy, they can speak Māori and, boy, they can tell a story and that's all that matters for me. So mm. I came through journalism not feeling like I was good enough to be presenter or, um, you know, to anything like that. All I thought that I was good at was relationships, getting the get, and I'd did my best to do that all through Campbell Live and worked on 2020. I was the gets get person on 2020. They never looked at me to be a reporter or a pro- oh, I was a producer, but I was never going to be the producer. I was always, he's going to get the get and then she gets out. So it wasn't until I met up with Annabelle and I went over to Māori Television that um, for the first time, you know, no one had an issue with my voice Mm. no one had an issue with my presentation and they were like no you're neat get up on there and so you know then I got 
um, supported to do uh, the um, Native Affairs. I mean, there was an opportunity when Julian, who is probably one of the best broadcasters in the country, stepped aside, which was kind of massive shoes to fill. I was like, no, no one's going to take that job. Who would do that? Next minute, she's like, you're going to. And I'm like, oh my gosh, I, I can't, I can't, I can't. Anyway, jumped on the horse. It's fine. You just need the opportunity. And ever since, and so the relationship is, is that she has always backed me and made me feel like I can do it. And same for her, like we just include each other in whatever we do. Basically, I present the shows, but you know, we both do all the work. We do, sometimes it's her investigation and sometimes it's mine. And we just fill in the gaps of, you know, what needs to be done next. I mean, Annabelle, to be fair, is the best um, polisher of a story. She's a great, um, she tidies up a great script and she's got a good script structure and she's got a mean eye in the edit suite. So, you know, I can kind of do the beginning of a story, the guts of it, and then she often polishes. Hmm. So that's, was that fair? Yeah. Yeah. She's good with the humans. <laughs> um, I have like less time and confidence and desire to be like in the world out talking with people and stuff she's beautiful at nurturing once I know someone once someone becomes our talent then I'm 100% invested in them but Mahi's great at going out there meeting people building building up the relationships the cold calling going out there shooting the story and I'm I'm like back and in the in the edit suite, watching it all come in, starting to polish it, and yeah, I think we both have a really good instinct on people and a good take, and we also have a probably quite um, in terms of our politics. You know, we come from mums who um, everyone's important and everyone deserves an opportunity to have their, their story told, so it doesn't. I don't care if you're on drugs and you've lost all your children to Oranga Tamariki. If you come to us with a story, we will take you, you know, until we work through your story, we will listen and we will believe you and we will work with you. Um, and I think that's our shared passion is that we don't believe that in order to have your story told or in order to be worthy of justice that you have to be as pure as the driven snow and to have lived a, a, a perfect life. Like people can do bad things, that doesn't have to define them. It doesn't mean that you get to treat them poorly or, or for them to suffer injustices and for no one to care. So I think that's an area of storytelling or a community of people that we're really um, passionate about and um, the most amazing stories are there and and how we treat those people is really a measure of our society. Like it's not just about how we treat everyone when they're having a great day, it's about how we treat people when they've gone through really bad stuff, even if it's partly self-inflicted. So Mm. that's what we care about the most. Mm. I love the strong sense of justice Mm. in that. One of the things that came across when I interviewed Carmen Parahi uh, for this season was she came in too when it was very hard to be Māori in the in the journalist space and so I'm really intrigued because you're similar really intrigued on what keeps you in it when the system seems to be working against you or relegates you to a place that says you don't you don't have the same value that that in my mind is ridiculous but I'd probably bow out so what's kept you in it oh for you know I have um 
the privilege of being fair skinned and so for me I don't while you know while I, while there's the glass ceilings low <laughs> in some places and there is definitely institutional racism and um, you know but women would also feel the same in, in those newsrooms because it's the same for them in terms of the guys get all the jobs and the rest of it um, but for me I feel like if I I I'm I have this privilege of being in this newsroom that people can deal with me because um you know they perceive me as um and you know at the beginning fair skinned you know she won't be as kind of aggressive and scary as everyone else that changes definitely after the first conversation then they're like oh my gosh we've already employed her what are we doing now <laughs> but I feel like it's the same for Annabelle and I we're kind of acceptable in those um, in settings and environments and so actually who are we to leave when actually we've pushed through the door, we have to hold that door open for ev- everyone behind us. And, mm. you know, Bells, I have to, we, I take my hat off to her because we have brought so many young wahine through all of the programs that we make. I think the other reason we stay in it as well is because we just, we love storytelling. It's a really, mm. really fun job and it's a privilege and it's a job that when you do it right and when you... Um, when you do it with a, a a goal in mind that you can achieve amazing things, not grand, huge things, but things that matter, um, sometimes very humble things um, to ordinary people. It might be someone that's you know can't find a house in Alportiki because there's a housing boom down there, and we tell their story, and then they get offered a fatty to live in. It could be the person that hasn't got got to see a dentist for you know, 12 months because they don't have any in Northland anymore and finally they get a dental appointment. They're humble things, but they're important things to those people and so they're important to us and the satisfaction that you get when you know that just by sharing our platform we've been able to get a little bit of help for that person That's that really makes it worth it. It's the most satisfying job in the world in that regard. It's everything, actually. Mm. Again, I, people will... Um, it's amazing because you'll be somewhere and someone will be like, sometimes they can be the gate that the person who opens the gate for you in a really big investigation because they'll just be some some person who's doing the dishes in the in the kitchen and they'll be like, oh, that's me. She helped my brother. Or, you know, that's the hui. No, the hui's Ming. And so next minute you're all by the grace of that person, you're getting into that story. So it kind of, if you do those kinds of things, it keeps um, self-perpetuating. Self-perpetuating, yeah. In terms of your success. Mm. So this, uh, listening to this, this when I imagine the best of media and the best of journalism, it, it's this. So it's it's extremely satisfying to hear to hear it. Uh, with all that in mind, tell me about the Aotearoa Media Collective. Yeah, well, that was just um, that's our side hustle. Uh, side hustle. <laughs> well, it was. Um, you know, because I mean, when we started to get a bit older, <laughs> longer in the teeth, and we thought, oh, um, you know, and everything's changing in journalism, because we've ridden the same wave as everyone else in journalism, where it's been, you know, in the 90s, it was huge, and in the 2000s, it was still booming, you had, you know, um, the long form journalism that everyone had, and that's where all the really good journos went to retire and do long, you know, big fly around the world and all those kinds of things and then it just died under those um, regimes in the late 2000s and Campbell Live went and all the long form went and so we've been on that roller coaster road and so you know you'd be naive to think that it's going to be safe forever mm-hmm. so I think Aotearoa Media Collective was an opportunity for us to think about stuff that we could do 
that maybe a broadcaster might not want to do. Um, it gave us a little bit more leeway and rangatiratanga and mana motuhake to create um, series like Matangi Reia, which I'm not sure we would have been able to get across the line just with a conversation with anyone. As it is, it's turned out to be a really amazing archive mm. um, of you know former politicians. And because as much as it is a privilege to make weekly current affairs, and even more so in this day and age when you know other incredible shows have gone by the wayside. Um, it is quite an intensive um, work period for the, you know, for the 46 weeks that you're on it, you know, like filling up half an hour of TV every week. It's not brain surgery, it's not nursing, it's um, it's not even working in a supermarket like proper jobs, um, but it is still quite intense. Um, so having Matangi, having AMC meant that we could kind of replenish our creative cup because it... A, a weekly spot does kind of drain your your creative energy so to have a little bit of time to indulge in something um, about a kaupapa that we're both really mm. interested in where we know it's going to have long-term archival value for te ao Māori for the descendants of those politicians and the people of the Arohi and that um, is just something really um, appealing and fun and creative and getting to work with our with our friend Mikey Sherman and, and Morgan Godfrey and those young ones who are coming through. And the old ones like it's just, Campbell. It's everything that we love, you know, happening yeah. in one little show. So um, You can also switch up your roles. So Belle's on uh, one of on Coast Watches. She went and direct, you know, she directed that, so she got out from um, the desk and I produced it. I went out it, with so the humans. She went with <laughs> humans and I did the producing, which is good for me because I get to learn what she's doing lot of the time and she's learning what it's like to be out on the road again and so I think it's important for you to know yeah what the whole crew is doing mm. and how things are changing and how things are for them so AMC is a bit like that and we've been able to do some really amazing training mm. um, in the last year through the PIGF Kia ora, um, and just like you know, at least a hundred young Maori we've we've had on our training schemes. Mm. We've created some modules through the lenses of Maori journalists, and it's just amazing. And, and the feedback's cool. And again, in terms of replenishing that creative energy, there's nothing like being around nineteen-year-olds knows at the start of their career and all that enthusiasm and hunger they have to like get you feeling like excited and like yeah. We've got the coolest job. Yeah. Let's go. <laughs> and hopefully affirming for a lot of these young ones coming through that they can do journalism in a way that is Māori, yes. do journalism in a way that represents the Pacific Islands, mm. rather than just needing to squeeze their worldview. Into, That's what we're yeah. teaching them. Yeah, good. Yeah. There was no one teaching us that, but, oh, boy, you should hear some of the stuff that we're saying in our wānanga. <laughs> Get in there. Don't you worry about that. There's no glass ceiling for you. Straight up the guts. And I'm hearing it because they're in at TV3 and they're in, you know, having these little kind of weeks with other groups, uh, with other organisations. And I hear that that's their attitudes. And I can see it on their TikToks. Mm. You know, they're like, I'm at the project and I'm doing this and here's blah, blah, and here's blah, blah, and I'm doing this today and I'm awesome. And I'm <laughs> like, wow, I would, I can't even imagine myself at 20 anymore. Goodness knows what I was up to, but I wouldn't have been that. And it's awesome too, because heaps of them have a products of kohanga reo and kura mm. kaupapa, so they just come with that. It's sort of like decolonisation. Mm. Me and me have been talking about this a lot lately. It's like running, um, 
you know, the races, the relay race, and, like, you pass the torch on. And yeah. me and have been having laughs because sometimes our daughters will say to us, like, oh, my God, you guys need to decolonise. We don't do that stuff <laughs> yeah, anymore. Yeah, you guys are living such a colonised life, and we're like, what? And well, they're like, stop so fighting, Mum. Stop. About? Yeah, you need to move on. <laughs> And we're like, right, okay, we've succeeded because our kids don't feel like they have to fly the flag and burn the forest down anymore. <laughs> yeah, so it's seeing these other Junos come in and they're like, you know, already like five million miles ahead of us and we're like, oh my God, wait for us, we're coming. <laughs> That's it's really cool. Yeah. What a legacy. Like what a legacy. Well, it's not That's ours. A... Don't say that. Oh, it's not our legacy. Know, no, no. We just pa- we just passed we're the baton. We're just riding their coattails. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. The baton. In the in the liturgy at my church, there's a bit that I wrote in where we where we give thanks for our ancestors, those who have gone before us in family and faith, and we take our place in in the unfolding story. So it's just this recognition that in this moment yeah. we have the privilege of taking part in something that has unfolded before us and will continue to unfold once we pass away, and we're just Beautiful. carrying it in this moment. So. Yeah. I love yeah. I love that recognition. It's, yeah. it's like keeping the ahika burning, your yeah. turn at keeping the fire going. Yeah. Don't let it go out. So yeah. good. Mm. So good. Uh, mention of Kohangareo in there. Let's dive into that. So one of you, for me, unpack. Give us a rundown for those who, who won't be familiar with the story. You go. The Kohangareo story. Um, so when we were still at Māori Television on Native Affairs, um, we produced two separate investigations into the Kohangareo National Trust, which at the time was uh, in turmoil. There was internal tensions ar- around um, the governance, the management, and the kaimahi on the ground working in the actual kohangareo and the actual language nests. Um, many of them had concerns around the resourcing and the support that they were getting and the service they were able to um, provide to the whānau of the kohangareo because it was difficult for them to get the resources that they needed. Um, So we started off um, with an investigation that was primarily focused on the the conflict between the grassroots workers and the the governance. Um, And then not long after we ran that story, we were leaked some documents around expenditure um, at the trust at the time and that um, sparked a, a, another um, investigation which kind of for quite a long time defined our careers and was a, the subject of an injunction and has um, had all sorts of impacts on our mahi and our relationships and and on kohangareo itself. So it's been a big issue for us and it's one we haven't kind of looked back at for a while but um, it was kind of the publicly, but it was, I guess, what was unique about it was that it was the first time that a Māori newsroom, a group of Māori journalists, were looking at a Māori organisation and, and questioning its behaviour and the service that it was providing, and it's an absolutely vital service, and that's why we thought it was so important, because there is no institution that can make a greater difference in the revitalisation of our language than Kohangareo. It's the most incredible, superpower, important thing that we have, and so its health 
and its good governance and management is vital to the continuation of our of our language, which is why it was such a big story for us to tell and why the stakes, I guess, were so incredibly high for everyone involved. Mm. I can imagine that the pressure must have been huge because you've got something that you that you really value that obviously plays a key role in our nation moving forward. Mm. Then you've got all the racists looking in as well who are yeah. just looking for excuses. Mm. And I can imagine the pressure because they'd pile in and go, ah, look, it's all corrupt, burn it to the ground. Yeah. They I would think, throw um, the baby out with the bathwater, mm. which is not what we wanted to do. I think um, before we jump into that, I think it's really important to say that this was just a normal little news story. Mm. And it was weird because I always think about, wow, we were paddling the waka like in the normal direction as we had been in Māori journalism, just absolutely ignoring these big red flags. Mm. And, you know, that could have just been a news story on Tikaia, which was, you know... Um, I forgot the number, 20 kōhanga from Tūhui and Tauranga Moana unhappy with the trust. Yeah. And we could have just done that and not dug into it and it would have just been gone in a day. But I think that we had kind of got to this point in our careers and actually in Māori journalism itself, we were like, hang on, you know, let, let's have a little, let's dig into this a wee bit. What does this mean? And so it was just probably the aligning of the stars, really, that we probably didn't have a big story on our plate at that time. Um, we were all, you know, chomping at the bit for a bigger story in our careers. Probably we'd had a baby or between us. One of us we're breastfeeding had a baby at some point. Yeah, <laughs> yeah we're like in a little yeah. bit of a area a of calm. <laughs> <laughs> calm in our in our reproductive life. Yeah, because <laughs> we have got nine babies between us. So, yeah, we just kind of had a look at it and we realised, actually, this is not okay. And um, let's have a look at this trust board and let's look at the governance of the Kohangareo Trust. Um, and when we kind of went into the company's record and charities and stuff, we realised, oh, my gosh, they've got lifetime memberships. That can't be health healthy, you know. And so we started, once we kind of scratched the surface, we couldn't stop scratching. Mm. And then we had to really weigh up because – Already then, we were like, oh my gosh, Kohanga. We've all been to Kohanga. Our kids are all at Kohanga. Hers mm. were at Kohanga. Um, mine had been to Kohanga and we knew the value of the Kohanga mm. reo. We didn't want all the Pākehā journos jumping in and smashing the shit out of it because we believed that if ma if someone was going to do a story on this, it had to be Māori. It mm. had to come through a Māori lens because we knew all the nuances and you know, the important part. We didn't want to burn it down, essentially. Yeah. Where it, and there had been other stories done about Kohanga in the past. Mark Sainsbury had, you know, um, reported on a, a bit of a financial scandal that they'd had years earlier. Um, but our, our intention was not to destroy it mm. or to shame it or break it or bust it. It was to really question it, to hold its feet to the fire mm. in the hope that, with greater transparency and a higher level of accountability, it could be strengthened so that it could continue to provide that vital service that it does. There was for one. Our deal. There was one quote eh, in the initial interview, which was, "We have to st uh, stuff a doll into the window of this kohanga to stop the draft." And when we started to look at who owns the buildings, you know, whose responsibility is the upkeep? Because we were like. Why couldn't you just fix the window? 
there were there's not a cent extra, you know. And then we started to look at who owns the buildings, um, who's fixing the buildings, and we started to see this pattern of probably something that started out as amazing to, you know, for the Kohangareo Trust to have been shifted kind of outside of the. Um, the, reach the reach of the crown so that it could have some um, stability on its own some sovereignty if you like mm. so it could do its own business but it had put it into a place where no one could reach it in terms of keeping it accountable except for the people and that kind of framework wasn't working and so yeah it was a really big decision to make but we knew that there were these people that had come to us and they were strong and they were staunch and they weren't afraid. And we were like, well, if, if they can do it, we can do it. Um, we just have to work with them. Mm-hmm. It's not We're not making this story up. This story actually has some grassroots and it's the people at the grassroots who are bringing the story to us. So after a while, we actually had no choice. We couldn't back out of there. It's not like you say, oh, actually, I've looked at your story. It's not not really for us bring someone else and hang up on them we were already too once we had put one foot in that was it for us we were stuck we had to we had to go through we couldn't stand back we had to go through with it and we knew well we actually didn't know uh, we, mm. we thought we knew what was about to happen, but it was way bigger than we mm. thought. Um, the thing too is those people that that came to us with the, the initial story about the dysfunction between the grassroots and the management, like they are people who have committed their life to kohangareo. Mm. Like they love it like they love their own mokopuna, like it is their life's passion and work. So for them to speak out, it's so incredibly serious. Mm. This is, you know, they're putting everything on the line to do the right thing. You know, what they believed in their hearts was a, was the right thing. And as a journalist, like, you can never walk away from a person that's in that situation. We have a moral duty as journalists to get on that waka with them and, and paddle because... You know, it's to me, it's the ultimate call of a journalist is when people are in that situation. So we, I mean, were, we were in boots and all. Just for example, the Kohanga in Titiko, which uh, Lolo, who was one of the main talent in our story, it was so much on the line for them. I think that might be the biggest employer in town. You know, there's no other building that's that big. The shop's there and there's a garage and things like that, but in the supermarket. But in terms of the, um, the locals that went through that place daily, it was most of the town, you know, whether it's the kids or the kayafin or the kayak or the people who clean it or bring the food, it was one of the biggest places in town. So they had so much to lose. They had so much more than us to lose. We just had mm. our reputations and yeah. our jobs, which in the end we did lose. <laughs> but hey, <laughs> at least right. their is still standing. <laughs> yeah. Let's dive into that a little bit because, of course, whenever you threaten power, I mean, you talked about getting in the waka and paddling with these people. Power will throw, will do its best to throw a tidal wave mm. onto that waka. What did that look like? Oh. It was There's so big many. and watery. <laughs> it was like a, it was wet it was and like quite drowned. Ni- <laughs> the Niagara Falls and hypothermia tanga. Yeah, um, I don't know. That's probably a good. Well, um, there was some stuff that we were quite naive about. We were talking about this earlier, like. We knew because of some of the characters who are involved, incredible people 
who have given so much of their lives towards the Maori cultural renaissance at the expense of their own desires and their, own their families, whānau yeah. time and all of that. So there, there's... There's a, there was incredible people involved, people who have been personal mentors to me and Mihi that we were essentially going to be coming up against. And um, and I sort of naively at the time thought, but once they know that the stuff, once they can see that what's been happening here is wrong, they'll go, oh, oh, geez, we didn't realise yeah, that. And good oh on my you God, guys. Kapai, thank you girls, you know, kapai, we'll, we're going to get it sorted and everyone's going to go, oh, choice you aunties for sorting out kōhanga and we'll be like, it's all good guys, we've got it, okay, kapai. Um, and weirdly, it didn't turn out like that. Didn't, no. uh, I find this really interesting because having dealt with a few situations that involve power and individuals, individuals can be great. I think the United States is a great example of this. You yeah. meet many people from the United States, individually wonderful people, mm. but institutions are a whole other game. Collectives, yeah. cultures are a whole other game. So you can take someone who's wonderful as an individual, place them in an institution, the institution has power. The institution takes on a life of its own, a zeitgeist of, of its own. Yeah. Also, I think, um, and it's changing now with the post-settlement um, treaty structures and stuff, is I think that we as a people had a lot to learn in terms of governance versus management mm. and those structures, which are all very Pākehā structures. And so if you've, if you've grown up in a Pākehā family that, you know, your dad's on a trust board or whatever or a governor or whatever, you kind of understand it a bit more. But when you've, you've had, you know, you're so far away from power <laughs> as, a, as a young Māori person, kid growing up, that's foreign to you, all those kinds of things. So even for the audience to understand, we had to really spell out, you know, this is the government's, this is the commercial arm, this is what it's meant to do, this is what the deed says. Even for us, we were learning as we were going. Yeah. Mm. Um, it was such a foreign concept. Um, but, but so many of our things are set up like that. And pe- and we just put the, good, the right people on it. We think are the right people, mm. you know, because they've done so much for the industry or whatever, and sometimes they're not the right people. They don't have the accounting skills or the understanding. That's all changing now, and I guess it was going to come to a head at some stage. Mm. But it was so, in terms of the, the the response to it, the people that, you know, our whistleblowers that had come forward, people who were committed to kōhanga reo and understood what the issues were, they, were, they really appreciated that we had, taken it on they were solid um, they were mm. solid and, and we still have great relationships with all of them and um, there were some relationships that we had with people that were um that were that went through a bit of a hard time some of them are still just coming back starting to repair now and that's a beautiful thing it was difficult for our colleagues you yeah know, I think a lot Annabelle of the people in our a really good idea that we didn't think about and we'd probably do now is to have actually a meeting to say this is the story we're going to do, mm. and I know lots of you are, are graduates of Kohangareo. We've all, everyone's got a child in there right now. Like our newsroom are young mums and young dads, and or older ones who've now got grandchildren in the Kohanga system. You know, everyone's worked a day at Kohanga in a Māori newsroom. Mm. No one gets off. Everyone does it, and so possibly we think now that you know maybe what we should have done is had a bit of a wānanga. Yeah. told them what was coming because when that story went to air that was it literally the next day people just didn't talk to us mm. 
And I understand that now, but yeah. at the time I was surprised. And, okay. you know, I was a little bit like, holy heck, what's mm. going on here? And then the ripples, because, you know, you drop a um, stone in and the ripple effect is huge. And then we would never know who we could, we, which tangi we could go to, mm. where we could turn up. And, I mean, I got kicked off Tūranga Waiwai and I was like, wow, this is, I'm from Waikato Tainui and here I am on the outside and I'm not allowed in this whare, which is strange when you're from there and you've been welcome at Tūranga Waiwai all your life. Mm. And one of my besties is Mokotini and she runs that place and it was a really difficult time for all of us. Mm. Um, yeah, journalists kind of turned their backs on us because it was difficult for them. Mm. But the, the beautiful thing about Te Ao Māori is that, um, and I think this is something that Tao Pākehā struggles with sometimes, like someone does something terrible in the 90s and then people are outraged when they turn up in the in the 2020s with a job or doing something and they're like, but that's the guy that did blah, blah. It's like, well, your worst moment doesn't have to define you forever. So relationships are slowly repairing. Mm. People that were involved have moved on and doing other things. And, and, um, and yeah, I think... Eventually, in Te Ao Māori, everything becomes toe again. You know, it's a political cycle too, mm. and so you know, we'd be naive to think that there wasn't some politics involved in that. Mm. And um, oh, I, I mean, I say this, and I probably, it's, and I'm definitely speaking for myself here and not others, but I truly do believe that there was politics involved around that whole period at oh, Māori yeah. Television. You know, mm. we were told we couldn't put things to ear, we couldn't do this particular um, issue, which was a political issue. Um, I think that, again, the governance and that separation was too close and people didn't understand what was meant to happen. And so in the end, we had to leave because we couldn't do the jobs as a journalist, as journalists that we set out to do and that we've been paid to do. So the only thing you do there is you have to leave. Nothing's going. Nothing good's going to come from staying and fighting that. You have to wait for the cycle to finish, and we did. I could still imagine that would be a heartbreaking decision, though. It was for me because, like, for me, Māori TV um, was the ultimate. Like a lot of people think, oh, I'm going to get a job at Māori TV and then I'm going to go work somewhere you know like tvnz mm. or whatever but for me like maori tv was my world i loved everything about it and i was just so excited to be there and proud to work for them and i really had no career aspirations outside of maori tv so um and it was you know as someone who lives a long way from my marae um it was my everyday kind of marae and maori community that i could be a part of so it was for me, when I left it, it, and I was eight months pregnant at the time, seven months pregnant, um, it felt like a death, you know. I really grieved um, having to walk away from it. But, you know, it's that old cliche, like one door closes and another opens, and that was definitely the case for us. And probably it was the, the making of us career-wise because it forced us out of our comfort zone into this scary new place of being a, a um, freelance journalist and and you know mm. great things have come of it Cascateers, Hongi mm. Tahangi, New Zealand yeah. Wars, Matangi Reya, the Hui, all of these projects that we went on to make that we never would have done had we not been 
Yeah, it was gently shoved out the we, door. We had a CEO <laughs> at the time, and there was a real clearing out of um, you know long-standing journalists and managers and at Maori Television, and we were still hanging in there. We could see the writing was on the wall because we didn't align with their values and what they wanted. And, um, you know, for me, it wasn't so hard to leave. I I kind of felt like I don't stay in a place where I'm not wanted. And um, being Māori in journalism and having worked in mainstream, I was always the first gone. You know, I was always the last to get um, promoted or people around me were being promoted left, right and centre. I don't know, they must have thought because I had children I didn't care or something, but... I, it wasn't, you know, I'd already been made redundant three times in my short journalism career then. That was like ten, nearly 10 years ago now. So I was kind of like, oh, well, just roll with the punches um, and leaving what had become quite toxic, mm. an environment that was really toxic. And it was the best thing I did walking away from, you know, that kind of environment. I didn't want to take that home with me because we had good home lives, you know. We mm. had amazing children and fantastic friends so um, when we were at Native Affairs doing kohanga and those kinds of things, that, that was the goal. Life was brilliant. Mm. So when it, when it all started to change and we weren't kind of aligning with, you know, the leadership, it was like, oh, bummer, because this was working out really well. Mm. But um, it, I think for me it's kind of like you're not going to end me. That's I've always got a little bit of that in me. I think it's like a family thing. Mm. It's like, you know, you won't take me down with whatever. So I said to we said to Bells, that's how you know, we can do it. It's about the journalism. It's about us really. It's not about the place you work for. We just start that up. It's time anyway. It's time for mainstream channels to have some Maori current affairs through the lens of us for all New Zealanders. And we'd built up quite a good parky audience at Native Affairs. We had like a really cool Monday night Twitter club and they were just really good Pākehās who loved watching our stories. So we're like, we're going to take those guys somewhere else. And we did. And that's what we've been doing for the last seven years. Bravo. Bravo. I can see a lot of healing career-wise. I can see a lot of healing for you to personally uh, and having the years to move beyond that. Oh, it took a while. Oh, yeah, no doubt. <laughs> yeah. uh, the Tūranga YY connection, my hope is that that's been healed. Oh, sorted now. Yeah, good. Because no, no, that was a quick – it was like – I don't know. I did um, the New Zealand Wars Stories of Tainui recently. Yes, and, uh, which was magnificent. I am Nanny Mamai's favourite. <laughs> I think you watch fellas all think out there I am. Nah, she completely, it's finished. They don't even, they pretend yeah. they don't even remember it happened kind mm. of thing. I think people just, after oh, they moved on faster than us. It was us that were kind of a bit more um, yeah. hurt about it or traumatised by the whole experience. People just, that's what I mean, they move on with cycles. Mm. It's mm. like, you know, that person's not on the pie anymore, so it doesn't matter. The next person's on the pie pie, you know, mm. and that is not there anymore, so it doesn't matter. Yeah. That healing and that, that reconciliation gives me a lot of hope because I don't like the, the culture that says a few decades on or a couple of decades on that you're still marked by what you did. It was just previously. individuals. It was just individuals. And that's the great thing about Te Ao Māori is that somehow you're related or you know, your partner's related or your friend's related to somebody and it just, it's all fine because mm. people are like, oh no, Annabelle's, she's one of us or she's from the island or me, you know, she used to come over here, we all know me, you know, it doesn't matter. So, um, you know, behind closed doors, everyone, it's still fine, it's all fine now. That's good, I'm glad. 
You two thinking about the future of journalism in Aotearoa, New Zealand, what do, what do you think it looks like? Very good question, that one. Been thinking about that for a little while. Um, it's definitely different. I th- well, we're having a massive shift right now, aren't we? Mm. We call it like the right shifting of te reo. I feel like it's the right shifting of New Zealand's kind of psyche. Mm. And we're starting to be okay. And it's probably maybe because time has passed. And so we're becoming so you know, six or seven generations now from when really bad stuff happened in our country between Māori and Pākehā. So maybe people aren't feeling so wedded to feeling guilty or whatever. And so I think um, accepting what has happened and being okay with it is, is, you know, that's happening a lot and we're talking about it and Pākehā people are talking about stories about their own whenua and um, their tūpuna and things that might have happened. I mean, we do this series with Vincent O'Malley and we have a great time um, talking about what's happened in our history and just feeling good about things. So I kind of feel like hopefully journalism does that too. But I fear that when you look at the American kind of example, that really what's happened is um, we've be- the spectrum's got way wider and the ends have got uh, further apart. Mm. And so, yeah. And, and we're just going to have to deal with that as a, as a nation that we've got, um, you know, not just plurality of voice, but plurality of voice on this massive spectrum of um, belief. Mm. I'm excited. I think, you know, after the work that we've um, done over the last year with our rangatahi journalists, I think that there's like an influx of really bright, confident, informed, stroppy, journalists that are that are coming through and I think as a nation we're maturing and uh, while there's still this pocket of resistance people who are scared about learning New Zealand history and just want to be in the in the crouch position and forget any bad stuff that ever happened actually young New Zealanders are really brave and they're strong in their identity and they're not afraid and they don't carry uh, feel that they have to carry around guilt for what's happened in the past. They're perfect, but they feel strong enough to look back at it, learn from it, understand why things are are the way they are, and to move forward towards a more equitable and just Aotearoa, all of the best things that our tūpuna aspired to when we signed the treaty. So I... I feel like journalism has a really important role to play in creating that society. Some people call it woke. If you think being a kinder human um, is woke, then then wake up Aotearoa, I say. <laughs> but I think that you know the future can be bright. We just have to make sure that there's um, enough space for everyone, and I think that's going to happen. So I think there's going to be great storytelling. To come, there's always going to be the toxic corners of of journalism and the internet and all of that stuff that's just life and I think it's really important that we don't read too much into the whole culture wars and all of that stuff angry people are always going to be angry stroppy young youthful people are going to inherit the world and it's going to be up to them to shape it and I'm excited to see what they do Hmm. I think journalism also is going to not be so traditional and um, we're going to see journalists working in you know factual documentary making and um, making you know drama and writing drama and bringing all that you know journalism and the strengths of their work through into that kind of stuff I think that 
you know, arts and film and TV and online is all going to collide into this big, beautiful mural. You're going to get the news TikToked at you at six o'clock, and that's <laughs> yeah. not a bad thing. That's, fine. that's yeah. good. We yeah. shouldn't be scared of that. It's cool. <laughs> I want to close by saying thank you to you both. Not not for well for sitting down here and having this conversation, but much bigger than that. We talked about that unfolding story and carrying the flame in the moment that that we have now, and it's relatively nebulous. But I feel like uh, our nation is becoming more itself rather than just mm-hmm. a reflection of a whole bunch of imported stuff. And naturally, people will push against that. But in order to get there. It's taken people being willing to and able to stand in gaps in places that are uncomfortable in order to keep pushing, to keep pushing on that, our unique identity uh, in the world. And you two have, I think, done a magnificent job of that. And I think the Kohangareo story is an amazing example of that. There's you stepping first into journalism when journalism was not a good, healthy, wonderful place for Māori, mm. but then being willing to tell that story, to keep pushing it forward, even though it cost you your jobs, it cost you connections. Uh, there's lots of questions, no doubt, of identity that come out of that. Mm. The willingness to do that hard mahi in order to keep rolling that ball forward uh, needs to be recognised. So thank you. Um, you're appreciated. No, oh, thank you. No, no, with the Fifi. It's our pleasure and it's our honour um, to share that story. Thank you for listening. Nga mihi nui, mihi and Annabelle. Thank you for generously taking the time to sit down for this kōrero. Also, a big thanks to Radio New Zealand for hosting this series, and of course, thanks to you for listening. I always appreciate it. And a big thanks to Josh Couch and Steph So for producing this podcast and Mika Andrews for his audio editing. If you appreciate this podcast, please give us a five-star rating and share it with someone else who'd like it. And remember to follow to catch future episodes. At Media Chaplaincy New Zealand, we value our media. We demonstrate that by offering free, independent and confidential support for media professionals. So if you do work in the media industry and would appreciate a chat with someone who gets it, head to mediachaplaincy.nz to arrange a catch-up. We'll pay for the coffee.